Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody bright-eyed? You ready to, ready to go? Nobody needed the extra hour of sleep last night, right? How many of you guys thought you were coming to the earlier service and you just, no? A couple of you guys, all right. I like the honesty, I like the honesty. Hey, before we jump into the message, just uh, as we're moving toward Easter, I want to just remind you of our Easter services that are coming up. Um, at 8.30, at 10 o'clock, and 11.30, and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of telling you how you can really be a part of that. Listen, Easter is one of the biggest days in the life of a follower of Jesus in, in, in our faith because of what it represents. And it's also a great big day for us at River Club because we're praying that God would really use us to reach out to many, many people. And so we want to encourage you to help us do that by not just being here, but by also inviting people to come and by serving. And so want to encourage you to do that. We'll tell you more about how you can serve here in a couple of weeks. Um, also on your worship guide or in your worship guide, uh, there's some, some three things about uh, preparing for for, um, for our for Easter uh, in this season, we're wanting God to really speak into our lives and really direct us. And so, three things we're wanting you to do: number one is we want you to read God's Word every day. We want you to pray every day, and then the third is we're challenging you to fast from something. When we fast, we give up something to refocus and put more focus on our relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here as a follower. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're here, kind of exploring faith, wondering what it means to really be a Christian. Well, this is a great way for you in your exploration to say, God, help me just kind of focus more on you um, and, and on what you have for me. God, are you really the God that, that people say you are? And so I want to encourage you to do that. And, and we're not prescribing to you how you need to fast. You can maybe fast from social media. Sometimes maybe you just fast from one meal. Maybe fast for a day throughout this season or a specific type of food. But we want to challenge you to give up something uh, to just direct your focus more and more on Jesus. And so join us in doing that. Uh, we began a new series this past week called Love Fredericksburg. And, uh, and hopefully some of you guys uh, last week got one of these wristbands um, that says hashtag Love Fredericksburg. If you got one that said I Heart Gaming, that wasn't intended to be in there. Um, and so you can get a new one today. Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Um, it's a long story, but there were like four or five that weren't the right ones. But anyway, um, if you didn't get one of these on your way out, there's a basket in the lobby. Grab one because this is just a tangible reminder for you and for me as we continue throughout this series and what we believe God wanting to do for us. And listen, like, like I said earlier, if you're a first time guest today, man, I'm so glad that you're here. And you may be here not following Jesus, not a Christian, really kind of wondering, hey, what's this church thing all about? What's Jesus all about? This is a great series for you. Here's why. Because I believe that one of the things that people look at when it comes to followers of Jesus and don't like about us is that we tend to not be the most loving people in the world. But as we're going to talk about, when we look at the, the call of God in our life, it's exactly the opposite. And it's not just something that we can practice as followers of Jesus, but I believe that if you're on that journey of exploration today, it actually benefits you as well. So no matter where you are, no matter your background, no matter what you believe, I believe this, if you'll lean in today, God's got something for you that's going to make your life better. And in this series, we're, we're looking at this idea of what does it mean to truly be a neighbor? There's a book that I came across a little while ago called The Art of Neighboring by two pastors, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. And, uh, and, and a lot of the series is really based around some of the ideas that they talk about in this book. And the one we looked at to kind of kick off the series last week was this question that they asked. And here, and here was the question. 
The question was this, is that what if the solution to our society's biggest issues have been right under our noses for the past 2,000 years? So what if the answer to, to all the stuff we don't like about our culture, we don't like about our world, the things that we wish were different about us, what if the answer to that, the solution to that, wasn't something new, but it's something that's been there for a long, long time? And, they, and so we begin talking about this, this passage in the, the New Testament book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus was asked by a, a religious person, he said, you know, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? So in essence, maybe the question that we ask is maybe a little different is, you know, how can I live a great life? How can I live a, you know, a really good life? How can I know that my life has meaning, has purpose? What do I need to focus on? Because there's so many things I could focus on. What's the thing that's most important to focus on? And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus turns it back on to the, to the man asking the question. He says, well, what, what do you say? How do you read the Old Testament? How do you read God's word? And the man says this, that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, right, that if you do this, you'll live. And so Jesus boils down this massive question of purpose and meaning and what's priority and most importance into a simple solution, that we need to love God and love others. And what we're looking at throughout this series is, what if we took Jesus literally? What if instead of just love your neighbor and applying that to everybody, which we need to do, what if instead of shooting for everybody, we begin to focus on the people closest to us? What if we really began to view that God's call for our life was to love the people right next door? And could a better world and a better life begin if we learn to love the people who live closest to us. And so we've been talking about this last week and that throughout this series, what we're gonna look at is, okay, well, what does it mean to truly love our neighbors? Now, how many of you guys were here for the beginning of the service or the series last week? All right, you get a gold star for today. Here's why. Because I know some of you did not wanna come back and it wasn't because of the time change. Because this is a simple idea but it's one that's difficult to apply. Because if you're like me, and, and if you're having the conversations I'm having with people, when we hear this idea of loving the people right next door, we automatically go to that one person. And we say, you know what? I'm okay loving that person. I like them. I get along with them. You know that person? Not my favorite, but pretty good. You know, I can love that person, but there's no way I can really love that person. Jesus, there's no way you're calling me to love that person. Ryan Chase in our student ministry, we were talking about this, this, this tension of, well, how do we love the, the difficult people? And he was saying that, that when our students leave and they go downstairs and they, they talk about the same thing we're talking about in a little different setting. And he said, you know, he's talking to one of the middle school uh, guys that, there and, and they were talking about the, the people that are kind of their neighbors. And this kid said, well, you know what? There's no way I would ever love that person. And Ryan, being able to say this as a student minister to a teenager, I couldn't really get away with it, but kind of looked at him and said, yeah, that sounds exactly like something Jesus would say, right? But if, if we're honest, though, that's kind of the tension that we're in. Well, and, and you know what? They address that in this book. Here's what they say. They say, you know, in a perfect world, 
everybody gets along. But we live in a world where things go wrong and people disagree. So if you've lived near your neighbors for any extended period of time, there's probably a problem. There's probably something that somebody's done that you didn't like. There's probably something that you've done that they didn't like. And for some, it's been kind of Hatfields and McCoys in terms of there's a, there's a feud going on. So how do we love the problem, neighbors? How do we really live this out? If we're going to buy in and say, okay, Jesus, I believe that what you say is true. I'm willing to give it a shot. How do we include everybody and not miss out on the person that's harder to love? Yeah, I was kind of just doing some study this week, and I came across a couple of things I thought were pretty funny. One was this, this meme, this picture on, um, on Facebook of Mr. Rogers, and it said this quote, Mr. Rogers didn't adequately prepare me for the people in my neighborhood, right? You know, maybe you feel that way. You're kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers didn't have that neighbor, right? You know, there was no way that Mr. Rogers' neighbor had that dog. You know, like, like that, that just wasn't going to happen, right? I came across another one, because this is probably how you feel about some neighbor. It's this. Like a good neighbor, stay over there, right? I mean, that's, you know, kind of like, that's the slogan. That's kind of where we are, you know? It's like, okay, um, I'm good. There's a fence for a reason kind of thing, you know? But here's the reality. That if we're going to be honest, I think, I think we've got to go there this morning. We've got to really lean into the fact that when Jesus says to love your neighbor, he's not being selective. He's legitimately calling us to love even the problem neighbors. Now, when I use the word problem neighbors, here's what I want you to understand. You might be the person somebody's thinking of. Like, so when I say problem neighbor, I'm not casting judgment. I'm saying we all have neighbors where there's probably been some problems. And if we're honest, we might be somebody's problem neighbor. And there's, there's three types of problems that they talk about that I just want to kind of just identify. Because what, what are we talking about with problems? Well, the first type are those, um, those problems that are, are inconsequential, right? So these are the things that, that people do that, that may bother us, but they're really, they shouldn't be that big a deal. You know, maybe you have that neighbor who, you know, if it's 75 degrees or warmer outside, he always has to work in the yard without a shirt on and doesn't need to be in the yard without a shirt on. You know what I'm talking about, Right? And at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal, right? Maybe you're a huge Redskins fan, okay? And then your neighbor flies a huge Cowboys flag in their front yard, 24-7, football season and not. You don't like it. It kind of bothers you, but it's really inconsequential. So there are some problems where, honestly, we just need to insert some grace and kind of get over it because it's not that big a deal. But then there's more middle-of-the-road problems, I think the majority of the problems we face in our neighborhood are probably what I would consider middle of the road problems. So these are problems that are consistent and, and they're, they're not like super severe. I mean, they're not like selling drugs next door, but it's something that it's a little bit more than just, you know, a flag flying. And, you know, and so maybe it's this, maybe there's a dog that the neighbors decide to let out all night long and the dog barks all night long. You know, or maybe their kids are out playing at like three in the morning, waking up your baby that you just spent four hours trying to get to go to sleep. And it happens all the time. 
You know, maybe there's a, a tree that they're refusing to trim that's beginning to lean on your fence, and you know it's going to continue to destroy that fence if, if, poss- if you, know, you know, remedy it. So these are things that, it's not the end of the world, but they need to be addressed. But then there, the third category, though, they're the catastrophic problems. And these are the things that, you know, it's, it's a major deal. Like, cause some of you may be saying, okay, well, this house over here, Zach, you don't understand. Like legitimately they are selling drugs, you know, legitimately like, you know, they get drunk and start shooting guns up in the air. So are you telling me I need to go over there and say, hi, listen, if you're in that severe of a situation, you have every right to involve the proper authorities. It's probably wise to get some help to navigate that. So for the inconsequential problems, I think part of it is we just need to learn to get over stuff. The severe problems, we got to do the appropriate action. But I think the most of the problems that we face are probably more the middle of the road problems. So how do we really deal with that? What would Jesus say to us about, about those middle of the road problem neighbors? How should we respond? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about how we should respond to the, the problem neighbors in our life. And here's what I want you to understand. And this is what's so cool about the Bible is we're looking at this in the context of our neighborhoods, the, the people next door. But what we're going to talk about today can apply to any relationship. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't really have problems with my neighbors. But maybe you have a huge problem with a coworker. Maybe you have a huge problem with an in-law, somebody in your extended family. It could be that your biggest stress right now, the biggest problem relationship you have is your spouse. What we're going to talk about, the truth that God gives us today can apply to all that. But specifically, we're going to look at it with neighbors. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter five, verse 43 says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus says, you know the law, the Old Testament law, the Jewish law that says, love your neighbor. He says, but I say, not just your neighbor, also love your enemies. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So Jesus says, listen, love your enemy. Pray for those who are persecuting you because that's how you're becoming more like God. Because see, God doesn't just love the people that love him back. God loves everybody. It says God even blesses those who don't love him. So listen, when the sun rises, it doesn't just shine on the righteous people. It shines on everybody. When the rain comes that, that replenishes this earth, it doesn't just rain on the houses and in the backyards of the Christian people. See, God's love is bigger than that. And Jesus says ours needs to be the same. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're, the kind, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus says, listen, anybody can love the people that are easy to love. 
Anybody can be nice to the people that are nice to them. But the true secret to loving your neighbor is to not just love the easy neighbors, is to love every neighbor. R- write this down. It's kind of the bottom line for today. Listen, loving our neighbor, right, is not based on their deserving to be loved, but on our decision to love them anyway. The, the, the true power behind what Jesus is saying is that we're supposed to love our neighbor, not because they deserve to be loved, but because we've made the decision to love them anyway. And see, this is exactly how Jesus loves us. In Romans 5, 8, this this verse that, that Paul, the apostle, writes, talks about the love of God and how he loved us, even when we were not deserving. It says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were doing nothing deserving of God's love, that's when God loved us the most. That's when he sent Jesus. That's when Jesus came to give his life on the cross. That's when he came to bring hope to the world. And so we're not supposed to love people just when we feel like they deserve it. We're supposed to love our neighbors even when we don't feel like they do. And so here's what I want to do in the time we have left is I want to share with you from from this book five practical ways that we can love the problem neighbors in our life. Five practical things that if we're going to embrace this that we can do to begin to truly love the people, even the the difficult people in our life, in our neighborhood. And so here's the first one. The first thing we got to do is we need to identify the issue and assess its severity. So we got to identify, all right, what's the issue? And then we got to decide how big of a deal is this really? You know, when you go to the doctor, the, the doctor doesn't just diagnose your symptoms. Like you don't go to the doctor because you have a fever and the doctor says, okay, you have a fever. Thanks. Like, you know, the symptom, what the doctor does is the doctor tries to get down to the core issue of why are these symptoms there? So if, if you're twisted with a neighbor, if, if they don't like you and you don't like them, do you know what the real issue is? Do you know why? Do you know really what's behind the things that have been going on? And, and the question we've got to ask ourselves is this, is could I be part of the problem? So before we view the issue as always being somebody else's problem, we have to honestly say, could I be the issue? Or maybe could I be part of the issue? Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, if there's conflict, if there's tension, if there's disagreement, if there's anger, before you go addressing somebody else's part, make sure you've owned your part. Make sure and focus on the person you can change, which is yourself. You know, how many times have you been all twisted about something, about somebody's response, and then you come to realize that actually what got them responding the way they were was how they thought you were responding to them. And it ends up being this thing that wasn't that big a deal, but that's blown way out of proportion 
because everybody was so focused on the other person's fault that they never identified the real issue, which may have been partly theirs. And so we've got to identify what's the real issue. You know, the fact that I don't like my neighbor doing this. Why? The fact that they're treating me like this. Well, could it be something I may have done? And then honestly, we've got to assess the severity. We've got to ask the question, is this really that big a deal? Is it really a, an inconsequential thing that we're making a catastrophic problem? Or, or is, is this being honest? Because see, here's the deal. We live in a culture where it's like it's in to be offended. It, it's in to make a big deal over nothing. And, and before we cast judgment, we do the same thing. And all of a sudden, these little things that people do, they become these monstrous mountains in our life when honestly, they're just little things. And we want to turn this, you know, this, 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 this little bitty thing into this major catastrophic problem. Proverbs 19.11 actually says this, that a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Do you realize you don't have to be offended when people wrong you? Like it's not a requirement. Like somebody doesn't wave you in the morning. You don't have to get mad at that. Somebody steals your newspaper. Like you don't have to think that they're the most evil person in the world. Like, like you don't have to respond that way. That actually to your benefit, sometimes, according to God's word, it's actually better to overlook the offense and not make it a big deal. Because it might not be that big a deal. Well, what if it is a big deal, though? You know, what do we do when, you know, somebody is the problem? Well, we, we've got to confront that. And when we confront that, we need to confront it in a way where we're seeking to, to, to be reconciled on the back end. Where we're not just going over to give them a piece of our mind, but we're going over to address a problem because we know that we don't want this tension to be here anymore. And we need to go inserting some grace. See, when we go and have a confrontation with somebody, but we do it in a graceful way, a gracious way, we're not going to prove them wrong and prove us right. We're not going to win the argument. We're not going to make them feel bad. We're actually going to figure out, help me understand why this happened. So instead of going over and saying, saying hey, you did this, here's why you did that. You don't know why they did it. But maybe if you go over and say, Hey, you know, the other day you said this or you didn't do that or you didn't, you know, whatever. And, and you know what, I'm just, I'm trying to understand because I'm, you know, I, I don't believe you meant anything by that, but help me understand. And then maybe they're mad. Maybe they're twisted. Maybe there's an issue, but now you're having a conversation instead of a confrontation. And I think that's an important thing we need to do in our life is to go seeking to understand, not always seeking to win and be right. So we need to identify the issue and then address the severity. But here's the thing. But eventually, we've got to extend forgiveness. And Jesus was asked one time by, by Peter, one of his followers, in Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, Peter was probably trying to position himself as, as, as pretty godly. Saying, Jesus, how many times should I forgive that person? Like, like seven times, that's a lot, right? Yes, that's good. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus is basically saying, listen, 
forgiveness should be given liberally and given freely. That there shouldn't be a, a limit to our forgiveness. Now, can we forgive somebody and put proper boundaries in our life to make sure that we don't find ourselves hurt again? Absolutely. Should we forgive somebody who is consciously trying to, trying to hurt us and hurt our family and harm us? Should we forgive them? Yes. Should we allow them to do whatever they want to with us? Absolutely not. See, there, there, there's a difference in forgiving and excusing. Excusing somebody is saying, I'm not going to address what happened because I don't like the confrontation. Forgiving is saying, I'm going to confront this. We're going to deal with this issue. But the goal is, is that after it's over, we're going to move past it and I'm not going to hold it against you. See, it could be that the problem that that you have with this person is nothing that happened recently. It happened a long time ago. And maybe they even apologized. Maybe they've even extended an olive branch. But you're so twisted still, you're not willing to let it go. When we don't forgive somebody, it doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts us. See, forgiveness brings freedom. But unforgiveness it actually keeps us captive. So we need to, number one, identify the issue. We need to address the severity. Number two, we need to be willing to do this. We need to choose to obey Jesus' command to pray for those who are are our enemies. We need to pray for those who are our enemies. We need to make that choice. I'm going to choose to do this. Matthew 5.44 says this. says, but I say to you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemy and then pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus says, I want you to pray for the person who is proactively trying to hurt you. Because when you persecute somebody, it's not an accidental thing, right? Like you don't walk around and come home and like, oh my gosh, babe, I I, I totally accidentally persecuted this person at work, right? It's not persecution. Persecution is when you say to somebody or you do something to somebody in a very intentional way and you're wanting this to hurt them. Jesus says, even if the person is intentionally trying to get at you, trying to hurt you, trying to harm you, pray for him. Pray for him. Begin that prayer. Begin that prayer in your heart. Begin to pray. Because when we pray for people, it changes. Sometimes it changes the circumstances, but more importantly, it changes us. Listen, I hate confrontations. I hate confrontations. I think if you love confrontations, you got an issue. There's something else going on, right? You got some anger, you got some insecurity, you know, like, you know, I don't know, but there's just something else there. I don't like confrontations, but here's the thing. We have to have confrontation in our life. We have to address difficult situations. But one of the things I commit to do and try to do every single time I'm going to have that hard conversation is I want to pray for that person and pray for that conversation beforehand. And one of the things I pray every single time is from James chapter four. And it's when, it's when um, James is talking, or actually James chapter one. And he says, he says, Lord, help me be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So I want to go into this conversation, listening first, not assuming, but listening. I want to be slow to speak. I want to guard my words, guard my response. And I want to be slow to become angry. And if we go into that confrontation, that conversation with 
an attitude and a spirit of prayer, we actually go in better able to address the issue and not just the symptoms. So we need to be willing to make the decision to choose to pray for our enemies. Third thing is this, is that if you're convicted of God by wrongdoing, then look for an opportunity to apologize for your part in the matter. So if you're identifying the issue, you're praying about the situation, and God reveals to you that you were wrong in some way. Maybe it wasn't all your fault, but it was partly your fault. And, and so there's this reality that, you know what, I've got, I've got, I've got some, some fault in this. Then we need to be the person who's willing to apologize and not wait to be apologized to before we say we're sorry. So I think a lot of times the person that says I'm sorry second doesn't really mean it. They just feel bad because the other person apologized, right? Because you don't want to be the jerk that they're like, hey, I'm sorry. You're like, you should be, right? What do you do? You say, you say, oh, I'm sorry too. Now, do you really mean that? Sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we're just saying it because that's what we're supposed to do. But Jesus says, listen, if you want to truly love the problem people in your life, you've got to not just apologize. You've got to go initiate the apology. Look what he says, Matthew chapter five, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice to the altar in the temple, so if you're worshiping God, right? And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So Jesus says, listen, if you recognize that you were wrong, that you had a role to play in this conflict, this disagreement. He says, drop what, what you're doing. Even if you're worshiping me, even if you're doing the thing that is most important, I want you to drop what you're doing. I want you to go and make the first move. I think for some of us, that's gonna be the most difficult thing if we truly wanna live this out. Because to humble ourselves and apologize in our mind, here's what it does we feel like we're giving that person an out. That if we apologize, even though we, we may have been a little wrong, but we feel like they were really wrong, then if they don't apologize back or they don't truly mean it, then we, we, we didn't win, they won. But it's not about winning and losing. Well, Zach, what happens if they don't apologize? Nothing. You do you. You do your part. You can't control somebody else. You make the first move. Because at the end of the day, God is not going to judge us based upon how other people acted. He's going to judge us based upon how we acted. And we've got to take the initiative and apologize. Here's the fourth thing, is that we have to be willing to go the extra mile. So another one of the things about Jesus that we really like on paper, but we don't like in our lives, is that Jesus says, that when you've been wrong or in this relationship, in this loving your neighbor, it's not enough just to do the bare minimum. You actually need to be willing to do above and beyond to truly love that person. See, a lot of times for me, I want to respond to somebody out of what I feel is the appropriate response, right? So, you know, say, say me and my neighbor were twisted or whatever, and they apologize, and I know I need to love them back, but I'm only going to love them to the point where I feel like it's justified, and I'm only going to do, you know, it's like, oh, I could do this, but you know what? I'm not going to go that far because they need to know that what they did was wrong. But here's what Jesus says. 
in um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, what's Jesus talking about? Well, in the context of, of where Jesus lived, in the context of these the Jewish people, the, the Roman Empire was in control. And they were oppressive to the people that they ruled. And so there was a, a, a legitimate law on the books that if a Roman soldier came up to you, no matter what you were doing, and they said, hey, here, carry my equipment, carry my gear, carry my sword, whatever, carry all this heavy stuff I don't want to carry anymore. You had a legal obligation to carry that for one mile. You had to do it. If you didn't do it, you could be thrown in prison. Legally, you had to do that. Now, I'll be honest with you. If that happened to me and I didn't want to do it, I'd pull out the GPS and I'd be like, okay, one mile. Here we go. And I would not go a, a step past that mile. Why? Because I don't, I don't have to do that. I, I, I'm only going to do what I'm required to do. But here's what Jesus said. He said, if they come and ask you, don't carry it a mile, carry it two. Jesus says we've got to be willing to love people above and beyond even what may seem required. You know, he says this in a first John or John says in first John three, one says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. John describes God's love for us as a lavish love, a disproportionate love that God loves you. And God loves me not in a proportionate way, but a lavish way. And we're called to do the same. But what happens when we don't feel that way, right? Because here's the argument, and I've said it before, I've heard it before. The argument's this, well, Zach, if I'm really doing things because I love them, but I don't really love them, I'm being a hypocrite and I'm lying, right? So shouldn't I really want to before I have to go do something? Right, I mean, shouldn't I, you know, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, you know, because the heart matters, Jesus said that. You know, shouldn't I want to love people? And if I don't really want to, does it really count? Absolutely it does. C.S. Lewis, the, the, the great author, says this. says, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become loving is to sit trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. So sometimes God tells us to love somebody, and we know he's telling us to love them. And so what, what do we do? We sit there and we pray, God, help me love this person. God, help me love this person. And we feel like until we really, truly love the person, we don't really have to go do anything. Because we want to mean it first. So C.S. Lewis says, listen, you don't become loving to somebody by just sitting there trying to force yourself to love them. It's kind of like your kids, if you have them, you know, and they're two kids and they're arguing and one hits the other person and you're like, apologize. And you're like, what do you say? No, mean it this time, right? Honestly, you don't care if they mean it. You just want them to apologize because that's the lesson. Now, we can sit back and just sit there and go, I don't love this person. I don't love this person. I don't love this person. And God's sitting there going, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Like, that's not where it begins. So here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, but act as you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love somebody, you will presently come to love them. What's the best way to develop love for somebody else? Is to love them. Is to begin to do 
the things that you would do if you truly felt that love? Is it, is it hypocritical? You can maybe argue that, but is it, is it, is it, the, is it, dis, is it a discipline? Absolutely. Listen, in every area of your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be days when you wake up and you don't feel like praying. Those are the days you need to pray. There are days when you wake up and you feel like, I'm not going to read God's word today. I don't have time. I don't feel like it. Guess what? That's the day when you got to press in. We got to lean in and we got to do it. Why? Because we're doing it the right thing anyway. If you're like, Zach, I, I don't, there's not a loving bone in my body for this person. I would love it if they died. That's about it. You know what I mean? Like if you're being honest, right? We're being truthful. You're like, how, how am I going to go and just like bake them cookies? You bake them cookies. You go do it anyway. And as you begin to love them in action, your heart's going to follow. Listen, some people, I, I, know, I know a lot of people who, I'm not one of them, but you know, they, they, they train for races, right? And, and inevitably in their training, there, there's a certain day they get to where they don't want to train anymore. They don't want to get up and run. They don't want to, you know, it's cold, it's time change. There's a 30% chance of snow, you know, whatever it is, right? But what do they do? If they're truly committed, they get up and they do it anyway. Because the end goal is more important than that daily decision. That's what God has for us. So the last thing is this, we're going to hurry. Is we've got to go the extra mile, but sometimes we need to be wise enough to do this. We've got to learn to find an indirect way to bless people. Like, there could be a wound here that is way too fresh for you to just walk over and just go sit down and have dinner. Like, that's, just, that's not where you're at right now. There could be a hurt that is, that is really so deep that the first step is not, we're going to get the whole family together and barbecue on the 4th of July. And so Jesus says that we need to be wise in how we do what he's called us to do. He says this in Matthew 10, 16. It says, listen, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. So be as clever as snakes and as innocent as doves. He says, be as clever as snakes, meaning this. Be wise in what you do. See, sometimes we want to win the battle and instead we lose the war. So that's why taking a step is sometimes the most clever thing we can do. And our motives are completely innocent. But it could be that we know this, that, that there's been a major tension point here. Maybe the authorities were called and they know you called them, Right? And so if you were to walk over with cookies, you'd be a door in the face and it would just kind of give them this, you know, this opportunity just to hate you even more, right? Well, so maybe that's not the first step. Maybe the first step is to love them in an indirect way. Maybe you begin to pray for them. You begin to pray for them. And you commit every time I walk past their house or drive past their house, I'm going to pray for them. And you begin to love them through prayer. Maybe you know this, that, that you're going to start, you know, you know that you're not ready to have that face-to-face -face conversation, but you know that, you know, you could walk their newspaper up, you could bring their trash can up when they're not home so they can't stop you, right? And you can serve them. And maybe that's where you are. 
you know, maybe you know this, that maybe it's, it's their anniversary or maybe you know that they're laid off and you know that he and his wife are just going through a hard time and, and, and the idea of going out on a date's not a reality. Send them a gift card. You don't have to sign it. Maybe you want to, maybe you don't. All those little things begin to create the opportunity for more. See, the, the challenge of neighboring, right, is making the decision to love people, even when we don't feel like they deserve it. Because here, here's this, write, write this down. Because the reality is, is that we can't always change ourselves or change others, but God can always change us. Listen, you can't change that person. This may never be what you want it to be. They may never be willing to receive that grace, that love. But at the end of the day, God can change you through it. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I want, the question I want to leave you with this week. I gave you homework last week. I'm going to give you a little homework this week. Who do you need to decide to love anyway? If you're truly going to love your neighbor, if we're truly going to love our neighbor, listen, whether you're a follower of Jesus here or not, this is, this question is for you. Who do you need to decide this week to love anyway? And what step do you need to take? Because the longer that we sit back waiting, the harder and harder this is going to get. So what's that simple step today? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your love for your son, Jesus. And God, how you loved us first. How before we ever deserved your love, you gave it to us. And Father God, regardless of where we might find ourselves today in faith and following you, the reality is that, God, we could all use a little more love in how we treat difficult people. Because God, at the end of the day, we might be the person who needs that love because we're the difficult person. And so God, as we sing this song together and we move into this time of response and this reflection, we're gonna sing a song that talks about moving from our head to our heart. And God, we don't just wanna know your truth, but we want it to dwell inside of us. So God, I pray that for each of us, God, you would show us what that next step really looks like of how we need to decide to love the problem people. God, maybe today we need to come and we need to place their name on the two boards saying we're going to identify our neighbors and we're going to pray for these people. I pray during this time we would do that. Maybe it's to come to the front and just kneel down and pray, God, because, you know, our heart's not in the right place. That we've not been forgiving, we've not been loving. Maybe we've been the problem. And we need to just confess that today. Maybe writing a prayer and putting it in one of the fences on the side, God. Whatever you're calling us to, though, today, I pray during this time, we'd respond to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.